0: Hi, everyone, Callahan here, and thanks for listening to the Mind Sculptors podcast. Before we hop into today's episode, I just want to mention that we recorded this episode five days before Hall Breacher was banned in Commander. We mention in this episode how cards interact with Hall Breacher a few times, so do not worry. We do know the card is banned. We just recorded this episode before that happened. Thanks again for listening and hope you enjoy the show. And welcome, everybody. This is the Mind Sculptors Podcast. I am your host, Callahan, and we have a great show lined up for you all today. But before we get into all of that, I just want to thank you for joining us this week. If you like this episode or any of our other episodes, please make sure to like, subscribe, and comment down below. And if you want access to our Discord server as well as some extra content, you can make sure to head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash the Mind Sculptors. Check out the link in the description Uh, Today we're going to be taking a look at the newest Magic the Gathering set adventures in the Forgotten Realms And joining me today to discuss this is uh, two of my uh, favorite people that exist in Magic Is uh, my good friend Cobblepot, Cobble how you doing?
1: Doing well, good to be here
0: Yeah, and uh, also hailing from the great north up there in Canada is my good friend Pongo Pongo how you doing? I'm doing well Awesome. Well, uh, uh, Cobble, you weren't here for the last set review. Uh, We did sub in one of uh, your other lab maniac friends. So uh, um, it was, I heard about that. We're glad to have you back. Um, It's good to be back. Absolutely. We missed you. Um, But like I said, we're here to talk about adventures in the forgotten realms. And so uh, we just got done with spoiler season for the uh, standard set. um, And, uh, there's not as much, we're, so we're just coming off of Modern Horizons 2, right? And so Modern Horizons 2 was like tons of new stuff. Um, and this is a little bit not as much, uh, but there's still some really interesting stuff to take a look at, and I, I'm really excited about it. And the set actually kind of has me wanting to play d more again, um, just because like it's all the all the different characters and the stuff and the abilities, like it just, it's really fun. Um, but the first card we've got on our list is Asmodeus the Archfiend, which is a legendary creature that's a devil god that costs four colorless and two black. It costs 6-6, six, six, and it has the ability called Binding Contract. If you would draw a card, exile the top card of your library face down instead. It has two activated abilities. Uh, one costs three black and says draw seven cards, and the other is one black and return all cards exiled with Asmodeus to their owner's hands, and you lose that much life. So, before we even get into anything, it was pointed out to me today uh, that we are going to have to find uh, a new nickname for uh, whatever I, I can't pronounce the, the card's name, uh, Asmo from Modern Horizons 2, because Asm- they ran a Mardica
1: in a Kulda
2: Yeah, exactly. Asma ran a Mardica Diced in a Kulda Callahan, what are
0: you, what are you, what are you even doing? Excuse this me. is like <laughs> kindergarten stuff. <laughs> so we're going to have to find a new nickname because for that, because we yep. got another Asimo, Um is, is what I was told today. But um, so there's been a lot of, you know, people have been talking about this card a lot uh, and Cobble. I know you had some thoughts on this it's because, because people have been really comparing this to Gristle brand. Um. Yeah. And that's not, I would
1: say an apt comparison just because Grizzlebrand, this is not. Uh, <laughs> it's it's still an, an interesting card. Um, it it has some some characteristics that I, I think are are new that have the potential to to kind of play well in the metagame. The binding contract ability that replaces your draws with exiles, that is something that now. Um, is a way to kind of get around the hull breacher and uh, notion thief kind of uh, interplay that we, we see, you know, in certain local metas. And um, this, this guy gives you some, some flexibility in how it is that you're getting access to your cards. So in the situation where somebody has some sort of a draw hoser, you can leave him on the battlefield um activate him however many times and let those cards go to exile and then just put those cards directly into your hand and um, be able to, you know, just kind of ignore the fact that the the Hull breacher or notion thief is is on the battlefield. Um, or commensurately, people can choose instead to have a sack outlet where, you know if he's in play, you activate, some number of times and, you know, hold priority with all those on the stack and then you sacrifice Asmodeus and then those are just, you know, draw seven, draw seven, draw seven and, um, you don't lose life, um, which is significant. So, um, that said, <laughs> he's, you know, he is in in the same vein as Razaketh or um, Vilas, he's, you know, Prohibitively high mana to, to to cast in most circumstances. So he's gonna you know be in some sort of a reanimator shell, and uh, the the second strike against him that I, I think is is the one that's the the main uh, stopping point is to draw the cards. You have to be paying three mana. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas if you look at something like Vilis you're uh, passively able to draw cards, whereas this, you know, you're, you're, you're actively doing it, but um, these scenarios where people are talking about stacking three activations, I mean, nine black mana is not an insignificant ask. So it's, you know, you, you got to be in in a, you know, very... Positive circumstances to be able to pull that off. Right. Um, so, w- will this unseat um, Villis in you know decks like Raza or something? I, I doubt it. Um, will somebody find a way to break it? Possibly. Um, people have talked about Curik, uh, and you know, just converting your <laughs> your you know life into cards at cards not not you know six life for seven cards um it's it's not a great rate but
0: um i mean at that point it's it's 50 life
2: for seven cards
0: at that point it is gristle branded is specifically in kirk it is gristle brand well because it's still double the amount of life uh, more oh because
2: don't forget you lose the life from the second ability
1: well, in in that case, that's what that's one of the, the cases where you would sacrifice him, right? Um, with the activations on the stack, so you don't lose the life. Yeah,
2: if if you have that option, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: Anyway, these so, are these are kind of magical Christmas land kind of is that
0: circumstances. Like, I feel like that's a theme with when we were we were going down the list of the cards we wanted to talk about, and there was a theme with a lot of them, and you'll see this as we we go through it is. Um, a lot of them are good in like one specific deck and then like fine or not great everywhere else. Um and I feel like Asbo really as Asmodius really falls into that category of um it's gonna be good in Kirk. Um and then everywhere else, like I, I can't imagine this unseats Villas um or you know, Jingataxius or Consecrated Sphinx, right? Like, right. Those are the th- like three really good ones. And I, I just don't think this is better than that. Yeah. I agree.
2: I'm, I'm not even sure that this is playing Garrick like six mana to get him. Well, not six mana, four mana to get him to play in and four life. And then also 15 life to draw seven cards. Like, I mean, you could still entomb reanimate. Like, yeah. it's not like you can't do that. It, it's doable, but I, I kind of just wonder if, if, that deck does just like, doesn't have better things to be doing. Um, yeah. Admittedly, I mean, I'm not that deck, super familiar, but right. I mean, if that deck
1: reanimates Villis instead.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's it. Like you, Villis is just so much better than this in every right. circumstance. So you're yeah, not going to, exactly. you're not going to entomb this ever. Um, yeah. There's like been some discussion of this card in Mirosil, um, which is interesting. Again, Marisil is not a deck I'm, Incredibly familiar with. I do think it probably has better lines. Um, but obviously, being able to exile this to Mirrorsil and then just pay three black mana to draw seven cards is a little bit better than having to pay four black mana and have this in play and also, mm-hmm. you know, worry about your regular draw for turn being exiled face down, which is kind right. of a, a downside of this card that is easy to gloss over. Um, yeah, I mean, like I, I I get the synergy, like it, it clearly works, but I just don't know if it's uh, better than the existing options for that deck. Yeah.
0: Um, next card on the list is another card that kind of falls into that category of you. Okay, you guys said this earlier, and I, I I'm. Oh, this, I have yeah. no <laughs> idea how I'm supposed to say this. Aser, as Sarah is somebody else that me. I think though, this is a, this. a
2: recurring. Theme for this episode is uh, not knowing how to pronounce things. <laughs> I think even the last card, like, admittedly, I'm not super familiar with the lore of Dungeons and Dragons, right. but I would have thought that it's pronounced Asmodeus, right? But maybe it's not because of D&D or... But That's a good question. I'm not sure. Oh. Uh,
0: I I, I could be con, can, could be calling it completely wrong. I just assume it's Asmodeus. Uh okay. Um, this
2: card, I assume and i'm probably gonna bit butcher it right now is Asarak the Archlich? um so i guess i'll just take it from here <laughs> uh, so this is kind of like another interesting as we talked about before uh, very niche sort of card um specifically this forms a two card combo with aluren um being a 3-drop, you can cast it for free off of Lurin, And if you haven't completed the Tomb of Annihilation, you have to return it to your hand. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, you know you can choose to go into two different dungeons other than the Tomb of Annihilation. And you can choose to go into two different dungeons as many times as you'd like. So you can complete those dungeons repeatedly, uh, bouncing this card over and over again with Aluren. And it just so happens that there are ways to win with the two other dungeons, if I'm not mistaken. Both of them. Yeah. Theoretically, it's much harder with the longer dungeon. The name escapes me right now because I think you have to like essentially exile your deck and have some other win condition. But the other one, I think just straight up wins. Um, So, you know, you don't have to jump through too many hoops. Uh, So this is interesting because you have that. It also goes infinite just with like any other infinite mana combo, um, you know, food chain or even like something like a scepter uh, for similar reasons. You can just bounce it back to your hand over and over again um and you know why is this worth touching upon as a card well i mean i don't know that a learn is necessarily super well positioned these days obviously there's like a lot of scary things that can happen when you put an alert on the stack has a Lurin um, ever been well positioned I, well, let's be real i've put a learn <laughs> into play once and i also happened to have an intruder alarm at the time in play and I thought that, you know, everything was going to go great because I was playing Thrasios and Timna and I had Thrasios in play and Mana Dorks and Shrieking Drake and, you know, was untapping Mana Dorks. But it just so happened that I was playing against three opponents with Mana Dorks and, you know, cards in hand and, and they were netting mana and drawing cards and tutoring. That was a nightmare. That was a three hour turn. Not a three hour game oh <laughs> that, that was like a, a sub game within a game. In any case, I digress. Side. Yeah. Um, so a learn is interesting because it's symmetrical, obviously in a world with like things like dockside extortionist classes, Oracle, that can be a little bit iffy at times. Um, and obviously people can, can just toss in hate bears for free off of an Alearn. Um, But you know, why is this card neat? Because, well, it's kind of like another two card combo in black green, and it's less all in than something like a Chain of Smog combo, like Witherbloom combo, um, which is similarly a two card combo in black green. But, um, you know, you end up having to discard your entire hand while you're resolving the combo. So in this case, you know, your individual card quality is probably similar ish. You know, maybe we could give it a, uh, we could say that the Aluren line is a little bit better. Um, mana considerations are very similar. We're talking about four mana in both cases because Aluren makes uh, Aserac, uh cost nothing afterwards. Um, so, so yeah, it's definitely worth considering along that axis, I think.
0: Or just don't play Aluren and think me later. Yeah, <laughs> um, how I feel Literally, I, I feel like every set um, I said this before I feel like every set there's somebody On like the Najila server or something And it's like, oh man This is the card that makes Aluren playable
2: <laughs> Well, we, we do every officially time. now have the uh, Yeah, most card efficient Slot efficient Aluren line So you know the Najula Lurin brewers out there, you know what to do. You can just reclaim a bunch of slots in your deck. There you go. If Um, only Asurarak
1: were a warrior.
2: If only the layering. (laughs) 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 Although you know you you could play step through, and then uh, it's a wizard. (laughs) So you've got Derevi, Thassa's Oracle, and now Asurarak for impeccable layering.
0: That's Guys, right. Listen, I, I, the amount of work I had to do to keep step through from being in the Lavinia list because Phoenix thought that it, we should play it was way too much work. <laughs> Love you, Phoenix. I just think step through is so bad. Every time I hear somebody bring up that card, I'm just like, can we not? <laughs> like I mean, it's a two mana tutor for a lot of other decks. <laughs> like it is. I was just like, why are we? Why do you want to play
2: this? <laughs> well, I mean, a lot of other decks want a tutor because
0: they they have win conditions. I mean, I mean in a deck in a, in a deck like a sure, but like outside of that, yeah.
2: Like, I mean, and in Digil obviously, there's Derevi and Thassa's Oracle that are both wizards as well. Um, yeah. So it's not absurd, especially if you're not playing ad nauseum to play uh, step through.
0: That's true. That's fair. Moving Look on. Anyway, uh, next card on the list is Deadly Dispute. It is a one colorless and black instant uh, that says is it an additional cost to cast the spell sacrifice an artifact or creature. And what happens is you draw two cards and create a treasure token. Um, so, Cobble, this is really good in Corvold, huh? Yep. This is a Corvold card. <laughs> and that's kind of and how
1: <laughs> almost all there is. It's... Um, Basically, what this is going to do is, in Corvold, this is going to draw you four. And um, because it creates a treasure, it's really only going to cost you one mana. So, mm-hmm. four cards for one mana is a fairly
2: good rate. It's just strictly um, yeah. better Ancestral Recall, what? Yep. <laughs> this
1: um, can't even be blasted. Right. Is it going to see play outside of Corvold? Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if this is worth it uh in those other circumstances that this is so good in corvold that you're just gonna see it's just gonna see play um i I don't know if it's you know natural state (laughs) is 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 gonna warrant um seeing play in other places Mm -hmm. so um i mean
0: the same way go ahead this feel this just feels like better village rights This is just, this is just strictly better village rights in my opinion. Because sure, you have to have the two mana to get off the ground, but you're only really spending one mana on it, right? Yeah. So like, it it just feels like the same then. No, because village rights is one mana, uh, sack a creature, draw draw two. It doesn't net you the... the. Tr- I guess it is kind of the same. But being able to sacrifice an artifact, though, too, does, like, open up the possibilities for this card.
2: Yeah, um, and it's only the same if you look at it I like, kind of, like, at sorcery speed. If you're playing this as right. an instant and you have the two mana, then you net a treasure as opposed to getting, like, no incidental additional value.
1: Right. You know it would be cool? If there was a card that let you get another treasure
0: whenever you got a treasure wow what Mm. a what a segue what a what a segue (laughs) jeez uh speaking of which is the next card on our list called zorn it's a two colorless and a red elemental creature that's a three two that says exactly what cobble just said if you would create one or more treasure tokens instead create those tokens plus an additional treasure token um so this isn't this isn't a doubler per se um but In a specific deck Pongo, it is a Doubler, right? Essentially,
2: yeah. I mean, if we're talking about Magda specifically, um, you know, this is a very explosive card where for Mm -hmm. three mana, you know, you go to combat after attack with a a few dwarves um, or, you know, just do metal dwarf shenanigans and you're just like tapping dwarves and making a ton of treasures. And then you kind of just get there, I think with Magda pretty quickly from that point. Um, So this certainly feels like it's going to, you know, for three mana, potentially take like a turn off your clock with Magda. um, While also kind of just being a very, very good, very reasonable, just generic value piece for you there. Um, So I think it's kind of like a slam dunk for that deck.
0: Outside of that, is it worth playing?
2: I think three mana, if you're not going to have lots of individual triggers that make treasure tokens, then it's probably not worth it, right? Like Dockside plus one for three mana is not worth it. Um, you know, I can't think of too many other decks in the format that are generating a lot of individual triggers for for making treasures. Um, right. Usually it's kind of like bursty as opposed to more, like, incremental, like Magda. Interesting.
1: Now, how um, does this work
2: with Smothering Tithe? Well, it does work with Smothering Tithe. <laughs> um, but then, you know, you have to have this and Smothering Tithe in play. Right.
0: Interesting. I, I don't know. I think it's interesting. One of the one of the cards or deck... Uh, one of the decks I kind of thought about with this was... Potentially correct in Sakashima, Um, but, you know, perhaps that is incorrect. I don't know. Ken, let me know. Um, Next card on our list is another card for Magda. Uh, It is you find some prisoners, uh, which is a one in a red instant, Uh, and you choose one. You can either break their chains and destroy target artifact or interrogate them and exile the top three cards of target opponent's library Choose one of them until the end of your next turn. You may play that card and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast it. Um, So cobble, what are your thoughts on this kind of uh, removal kind of card? I, I feel like
1: it's, it's an interesting card for lower color red decks. Mm -hmm. So, um, it 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 had it bears a little bit of similarity to a braid. Um, just it's a, another way to to be able to remove problematic artifacts. But um, it, it, especially in mono red, there you're 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 very very thirsty for card draw, and um, a lot of mono red decks are going to run subpar draw engines just because they don't really have very much else available to them. Um, this has kind of the 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 other effect of um, the it, it, the fact that it exiles three cards from an opponent's library at instant speed um, allows you to interact with you know opponent the top deck tutors or you know circumstances where somebody is you know noxious revivaling something to their to their library so that they can you know, have a play for, for the next turn or whatever, you know, being able to disrupt those plays. Um, it, it's got flexibility in that way. So it's, it is letting you, um, you know, see three cards and pick one that you want, but also has that disruptive capability at the same time. So for mono red, I, I think it's a, a good upgrade and um, outside of mono red, I, I'm not sure it's going to see too much play.
2: Yeah, I I would tend to agree, right? If we're comparing this to something like a Braid, you're giving up the mode where you can kill creatures, um, which is really powerful. And I think that in a lot of situations, a Braid is the card you pick over this because you need flexible removal um, for dealing with something like either a Null Rod or like a Collector Oof, for example, in Mono Mm -hmm. Red, um, or, you know, various other hate bears like Opposition Agent, Hole Breacher, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Whereas in this case, you're trading off that ability to hit a hate bear for the ability to interact with uh, like a top deck tutor. Um, But at that point, if you're doing that, you're also kind of replacing this card, which is quite, quite good. Um, I think that this is a very compelling card. Um, You know, it's kind of sort of generic good stuff as opposed to like filling a very specific needed role. Um, which might be the reason why it doesn't necessarily like, made that might be why somebody would omit it from a deck, uh, because that second ability is a little bit sort of just g- generic, as I said. Um, but if you really care about destroying artifacts and like, you're happy to have additional copies of that effect, then this is really strong, um, because it's kind of never going to be dead, which is... You know, you can't even say that for a Braid, right? Like, I mean, a Braid will always hit something, but, you know, it's not necessarily always furthering your game plan. It's always going to be able to disrupt. But this can theoretically find you like a tutor or something like that. So mm-hmm. so that's pretty cool. Uh,
0: next card on our list is a little card, card I like to call Gaia's Druid. A- excuse me. Circle of Dreams Druid, um, which is a three green creature elf druid. That's 2-1 that uh, just says add green for each creature you control. You tap it. It's literally Gaia's Cradle on a creature. Yep. Um, It is exactly that. Um, Pongo, I know that this will be going into Revy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So there's
2: a few decks, I think, that... Are pretty happy to have this card. Um, we had talked about Yisan before. Mm-hmm. Um, that's feels like a slam dunk, you know, like just Guy's Cradle is such a powerful effect for these creature heavy green decks. Um, Derevi in particular, these days, is very much like an Emil Blink combo deck where you're blinking Derevi, uh looking to untap Guy's Cradle to make infinite green mana. Uh, which once you've made infinite green mana, you can then make infinite mana of any other color. Um, and after having achieved infinite mana, you can kind of just blink to Revy, you know, untap things, tap things to your heart's content. Um, generally speaking at that point, you'll either have some kind of outlet in play or, you know, in a pinch, you can kind of just tap things down. Uh, this gives you redundancy and that's super important, but not only does it give you redundancy for the guy's cradle, which, uh. I would say is incredibly valuable. Um, it's also much more tutorable than guy's cradle is, you know, whereas before you'd be playing, um, you know, something like a sylvan scrying or potentially like a Wargate to have, you know, an additional land tutors for guy's cradle. Mm-hmm. Um, this kind of just gets found by all of your creature tutors. And that's great because those also find a meal. Um, so, you know, you can have Yisan find this off of, you know, on verse three and then on verse four, you can find, um, you can find mm-hmm. your a meal. Uh, It kind of just gives you more options. Um, And also Derevi is just a deck that makes really good use of Guy's Cradle in general, right? You get to untap it uh, a bunch of times and sink that mana into stuff. Um, So I I would say that, yeah. I mean, the triple green is a little awkward. Um, But again, you know, if we're talking like less than four color decks, it's certainly doable. Um, You know, is this as good as Guy's Cradle? Obviously not. But, you know, you're trading, you're trading one strength, which is, you know, just like the fact that Kai's Cradle comes into play for free as a land for the ease right. of tutoring, which is obviously it's like a major, major benefit in, in band colors.
1: I think yeah. the only thing that I would add to that is that um, the, the tutor suite in green um, mitigates the 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 mana cost of this a little bit too right so um having access to neoform and eldritch evolution Mm -hmm. and you know pod effects and stuff like that uh where you're not actually casting this um those definitely uh you know improve the ability of decks that have access to those tutors to be able to actually get this onto the battlefield and you know not have to do Um, Uncomfortable things with their mana base to ensure that they can do it. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Green, green, green. You know, while it's like, I would say green, green is a very comfortable place for a card in, like, in Derebi, for example, green, green, green is not unreasonable at all. Interesting.
0: Um, Next card on our list, I'm really excited about, um, is called Monk Class. It is a white-blue enchantment that's part of this new type of enchantment that's called Classes, and uh, they're sort of like sagas in in a way. It's kind of... I, I haven't seen the release notes, so it's still like exactly um, how everything works fully is a little unclear to me, um, but... Uh, basically what it is is there's three levels and the first level you get when it comes into play um, and then you pay some amount of mana to get the next level and then you pay some amount of net mana to get the next level um, the first level is uh, the second spell you cast each turn costs one mana less one colorless mana to cast um, the next level level two uh, costs a white and a blue to um To get and you can only do this at sorcery speed and it says when this class becomes level two return up to one target non-land permanent to its owner's hand then let level three you pay one white and a blue to get that level and you say at the beginning of your upkeep exile the top card of your library for as long as it remains exiled it has you may cast this card from exile as long as you've cast another spell this turn um so this is really good on a variety of levels. Um, one level being that it does like all of these stack, right? Um, so the the first ability never goes away. Um, and what's really good with that is, you know, especially when you're starting to get into counter wars or you're going like Opal and then you want to play something else. It's really good at... Uh, making stuff more mana efficient in a way that makes sense for Lavinia, Um, as well as also having like a removal piece stapled onto it is kind of hot. But more, more importantly, I'm just really excited that Lavinia can be a monk now and I get to get in on all the monk action that's going on right now. (laughs) Yeah. This is essentially like Lavinia's Raghavan. Yeah, basically. Yeah, honestly. Um, you you sent this to me. Um, I was at work and you pinged me and you were like, "Hey, Callie." <laughs> um, no, I'm really I'm really excited about this card. I think I already changed it, put it into the into the Lavinia list, and it's it's been pretty good in playtesting. I haven't got to play it against anybody quite yet, but um, I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, these class cards are really cool, and um, we've got another one up here, uh, which is Sorcerer class which is a blue and a red class. Uh, level one is when sorcerer class enters the battlefield, draw two cards, then discard two cards. Um, so it is faithlessly. Yeah, didn't we just ban um, this card? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And then they put it into, into historic where, you know, you still have good old, uh, guess what's the best, best deck in historic right now. Yeah. Um, what's it called? The Phoenix Arclight Phoenix. Yeah. Oh, wow. Can't imagine why. Um, but yeah, so sorcerer class, uh, ETBs, you faithless looting, um, level two costs a blue and a red and creatures you control have tap, add blue or red, spend this mana only to cast an instant or sorcery spell or to gain a class level. And then level three costs three colorless, a blue and a red. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, that spell deals damage to each opponent equal to the number of instant and sorcery spells you've cast this turn. Um, so we talked about this in a couple of places, Cobblepot, but um, there's two places specifically. Where does this card find a home if it finds a home in CEDH? Um, this is going to be in decks that
1: have access to is it Colors that also generate lots of creatures. So um, Kaikar and the Locust God, the Locust God generally isn't um, something you're going to see in mm-hmm. m- most CEDH echelons. But I mean, it's, it's worth just acknowledging that this is uh, just absolutely bonkers with, with the Locust God. Um, <laughs> yeah. More, more, more naturally uh, you're, I, I would expect people would probably play this in Kaikar, um, just because you know turning those uh, the, the the creatures that you're 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 generating um, instead of netting you one mana each from sacrificing them, being able to tap them for mana and then sacrifice them, you know, net two mana for each of them. That's uh, that's really desirable and and, uh, and getting strong. blue mana out, out of them too. Not yes, to red. Right. So building that flexibility there. And then um you know, you can you can use those creatures to be able to to, to buy yourself into level three, at which point this becomes uh basically a um, what's the sentinel
2: um smasher, right? No, no. You're thinking of you Sentinel Tower or whatever. Like oh, the Sentinel Tower, the Aetherflux Reservoir type card.
1: Right. So where you basically wanna get yourself to a circumstance where, you know, you're Isocrine, you know, you're doing a dramatic scepter or something yeah. like that, and you're basically just wanting to storm off and you kill everybody. This is an outlet for sure. So, yeah, so it's oh. it's it's interesting. Um, I I don't think it's going to see play anywhere else besides places like Kaikar and Lucas God, but um, it it has some 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 interesting mechanics there, and it would be
0: cool to 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 see somebody uh, make this work. I want to see them do more of these class cards in the future. I really like this mechanic. Yeah, well, I'm still a little unclear of how it exactly works. Like if I can activate level two a second time, I can't imagine you can. No, they, um, they
1: behave the same
2: way
0: that the level it, up the cards do level up works. Yeah. For, okay. For okay. creatures that have level up. They just don't okay, use
2: counters. So which is odd. Um, or wait, do those cards yeah. even use counters? <laughs> I, feel, I feel like you're adding level up counters to them I don't think they them, do. it's, Yeah. It's, um, Oh, it's all a blur in my mind right now.
0: But anyhow, like I I really like this mechanic and I'd like to see it return in the future. Kind of how sagas came back. Like we thought that was going to be a dominaria thing. And then they were like, nope, we're just going to make sagas a thing now. Um, And I, I like it. I like sagas and I like this class mechanic a lot. Um, Next class card on our list is paladin class, which is one white Uh, The first level one says spells your opponents cast during your turn costs one more to cast, which is kind of a tithe taker in that regard. Level two costs two colorless and a white to activate. And it's an Anthem effect. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one and level three costs four colorless and a white. And whenever you attack until end of turn target attacking creature gets plus one, plus one for each other attacking creature and gains double strike. Uh, So cobble with this card um we talked about this a little bit before it's a very powerful one mana card right yeah i think that uh this is
1: a a really good card to be playing in a stacks deck that is employing hate bears because um it's it's cheap to get down and uh a lot of times, stacks lists, especially rule of law stacks lists, are going to uh, rather than the conventional style of, of deck building, where everybody is is playing very high efficiency, low mana cost things. Um, they're ex- they're expecting the the game to be, you know, each person gets one spell per turn, and it's going to lean more towards more impactful. Higher value, also more expensive, cards. So this being able to uh, reduce the cost, or I'm sorry, not reduce. Uh, I was thinking, never mind. Um, I was thinking that this was a, a cost reduction, but it's actually the other way around. Um, that that is still useful. I th- I think that the the tithe taker ability is actually less. Less impactful than than the second two abilities because mm-hmm. what happens in uh, those hate bear lists typically is that you grind the game to a halt and you get into these board stalls and um, at which point it kind of you know turns into you know normal magic where people are turning creatures sideways and attacking each other and uh, you generally need to find some way to push damage through and, 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 you know, kill people, uh, by degrees and, uh, just creating an anthem effect for one makes your, your blocks much, much more profitable. Um, it doesn't take much. And, uh, a lot of your, your, your hate bears become a lot stronger against things like Najila and, uh, Timna. And, um, it makes a, a big difference, but m- more so, after that, when you get to, to level three, uh, basically it, it's, it's kind of a, a Bruce Tarl kind of effect where you're mm-hmm. pumping something and giving it double strike. Um, that is significant. And um, especially if you have a creature with evasion, that will close out games really quickly. And it should be noted that these are activations on an enchantment, so they don't count as spells. So if you're under rule of law, you you know can go ahead and activate them to your heart's content. And, um, it's, I, I think a good, uh, it helps early game, slow things down and helps late game for you to be able to, you know, pivot and turn the corner and finish the game out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know that, uh, Charles and Michael Levine were both very excited when they saw this card spoiled.
2: Yeah, I think um, that Tithe Taker ability is uh, underrated, um, certainly for decks without access to counterspells. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I mean, like for one mana, you you that implies that you play this on turn one and it's kind of like everyone is sort of so, like margins are so tight at that point in the game or it might as well be like a silence effect um, right. in like in a lot of situations. So So for the early game, it really does help you get established, I think. Um, and then you can, you can kind of transition into a later game. Um, yeah. you know, it's obviously going to be underwhelming if you play this like super late, um, and people like are representing all of their mana, you know, or holding it all up, but you know, you can still catch people off guard by playing this when people are, you know, if, if somebody passed only holding up one mana, you know, expecting to be able to use their, uh, their swan song or something like that. Um, you know, I, 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 I think that even in proactive decks, like there, there's applications for that, that taxing mm-hmm. effect, uh, especially when you can play it proactively. Um, that's, that's quite strong. And obviously if we're talking about like a, a proactive Timna deck, um, you can still make use of that to Anthem effect uh, if the game yeah. gets grindy. So like I, there's like a number of places I could imagine this seeing play.
0: Yeah. I, I like this card a lot, and I think that it's probably a card that I think should probably see it. Like I, I would say in like those Thrasios Timna decks that, like, especially some of the slower, stackier ones, like, should probably be on this card. um, If you would ask me, just because I think the early turn um, advantage it gives you is just so powerful. But, I mean, I I guess my real question is to the two Kenrith Stacks uh, folk, um, will this be in Kenrith Stacks?
1: I don't think it's necessary in Kenrith Stacks just because um, Kenrith is, I mean, for, Kenrith presents a way, you know, by himself to very easily close out the game given mm-hmm. you're able to, to to get the mana. Um, I, I see this as being better in lists where closing out the game isn't uh, v- directly straightforward through your commander. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in places like, uh, you know, Timna, Kadama, for instance, where, you know, you're playing uh, a lot of value and a lot of, you know, kind of mid-range stacks pieces, you um, but winning the game isn't necessarily dictated by the two commanders that you have. Um, this is where I think that this is something that is, is much stronger.
2: Yeah I, yeah, I agree with Cobblepot. I also think it's kind of like like the anti-pattern for that deck specifically, um, where really on, on turn one, I don't think you want to be developing this. I think you want to be developing a piece of acceleration to play uh, a rule of law on turn two. Um, Mm -hmm. and then that implies that you're kind of putting this off a little bit later until a little bit later. And I think that the value of it falls off later in the game. Um, so, so yeah, I I think that, you know, where it can be certainly strong in, uh, in, in some stack shells. Um, I'm not certain that it's going to be at its best in like the green based stack shells.
0: Now, do you think this makes stacks better o- overall, like as a as an archetype right now? E- either of you?
1: Um, no. I just think that it's a low cost support card that helps you know uh, shore up some of the weaknesses that certain mm-hmm. stack decks have. I think that Archon of Amiria is the type of card that repositions Stacks within the metagame. And if we see more of those kinds of things, then I think you'll see Stacks improve in its
0: market share. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, there were definitely some good white cards in this set to to talk about, and the next one is certainly on that list of cards. It's Oswald Fiddlebender. (laughs) which is a legendary creature uh, that costs one and a white um, that uh, it's ability costs white and you tap it and you sacrifice an artifact and you search your library for an artifact card uh, whose mana cost is equal to uh, the mana value of the sacrificed artifact plus one, then put it onto the battlefield. You shuffle your library and you can only activate as a sorcery. So it's, it's, it's pod. Um, but for artifacts. So Pongo, we we so we talked with Charles about this at length in uh, our Discord server uh, when we were talking about this card and we were really working on show notes. And this card has a lot of applications in specific decks and decks that can play it in the 99, but this can also be its own general, right?
2: Yeah, certainly. Um, I mean... To speak to your first point, uh, like white decks just don't really have much in the way of tutors, uh, and the fact that this just is a tutor is pretty exciting. Um, this right. is, you know, maybe not the strongest card in this set. Um, you know, maybe it is, um, but it, in my opinion, it is most certainly the most interesting card in this set and the most exciting card in this set um because it kind of pushes new boundaries for for like what white can do uh and and what white card design can look like um so i think it's a super cool card and you know awesome i'm i have to hand it to wizards you know i think it's uh it
0: rngu nailed yeah, this Yeah they
2: they really nailed this <laughs> card and i think it kind of works even on like a flavor Level like it just works on so many levels, so I'm I'm excited about right. it. Um, but yeah, so this this card, you know, you could theoretically imagine this in, you know, in the ninety nine of, you know, certain white base decks, like maybe like a Zerta type deck, which you know is hungry for for artifact tutors. Um, you know, there, there's certainly other mono white commanders that are interested in tutoring tutoring for artifacts, um, and and this could certainly see play in those but as a commander um you know it's kind of still being it's currently being developed uh, and there's already been some work on that front i think you know as a two mana card um you know that puts this card at a a rate where it's viable in cdh to c play um certainly you know within the 99 as i said but also potentially as a commander obviously it's still going to suffer from sort of all the same weaknesses or most of the same weaknesses of mono white. Um, It does actually rectify one big weakness of mono white, as I kind of touched upon multiple times uh, with the whole tutoring thing. But the fact that this is a two mana card means that it's, you know, it's quite reasonable to play this off of like a turn one Chrome mox or a mox diamond, something like that. Um, And it just so happens that you can also then leverage those cards uh, as sacrifice fodder to start working up the chain. So that's pretty cool. Um, you know, this, this also being an activated ability plays into things that mono white is interested in doing, uh, being that it's a way to break parity on rule of law type effects. So you can obviously play those in that deck. Um, so, you know, in some sense we could compare this to something like a Yisan, right? Which is, um, you know, three mana also comes down really, really easily, really early, um, kind of also does this tutoring chain thing for consistency. Um, but in this case, um, we're getting sort of better access to uh, disruptive elements like rule of law effects, hate bears, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always said that, you know, if you could add any color to you know it would probably be white um, just, you know, to be able to hit hate bears up the chain. Um, that would be great for that deck. Um, And, you know, it's it's kind of something that you see in a deck like Derevi, right, where you'll use use Yisam to find eight bears and stuff like that. Um, So so here, you know, you can obviously sacrifice artifacts to find additional uh, stacks pieces. But there's obviously also combo potential here, which is really, really strong. Um, And the lines
0: actually don't look too bad, which is really nice because it means that I mean, they're pod lines like pod they're about as complicated as pod lines, right? Like they don't feel more or less difficult to me.
2: Sure. But I mean, I I say that because, you know, some of the early lines that were worked out for this card, you know, had like a lot of um, let's just say cards that I wouldn't be necessarily be excited to run. Um, So like fairly dead cards, but then, you know, we actually have some pretty clear lines um, with rings of bright hearth. For example, where, you know, if you have Rings of Bright Hearth in play and you activate Oswald and you can double his ability, um, then you can get Basalt Monolith and Staff of Domination by sacrificing a two-drop artifact. Um, and then Basalt Monolith plus your Rings of Brighthearth um, gets you infinite colorless mana and then you can go off with Staff of Domination um and at which point you have your deck in your hand so you should be able to win through a variety of ways right um you know you can play into other artifact synergies with things like kci if you really wanted to um you know in in a lot of respects you know what does white do best it's like hate bear and artifact type stuff and this is like this is a commander that really i think plays well into both of those themes Um, does so at a rate that makes it relevant for CDH. Um, and, and again, has like a reasonable win condition. It's not going to be one of the best decks in the format because it still has a number of the weaknesses of a model white deck, Mm -hmm. but it's interesting. Um, as a deck, it's incredibly interesting as a card. It's incredibly exciting as a card. So, you know, hats off to to wizards for, for printing this.
0: Is this better than Teshar?
2: I don't think it's better than Teshar. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, Oswald friends. Um, I think Teshar just has like so much redundancy that like it kind Mm -hmm. of already offsets some of the inconsistencies in mono white. Um, and then obviously like has a strong value plan and stuff like that with some of the cards that it plays and it's recursion potential is really, really strong too. Um, you know, not that Teshar is like the end all be all of mono white or anything like that. But, but I, I think that's like a, an interesting comparison. I think Oswald probably goes into Teshar too. Like that's pretty cool. Oh, I'd imagine it's in that <laughs> yeah. deck. Yeah. Mono white can like recur all the stuff that, that Oswald sacrifices, which is like another really powerful angle of this card. Um, and kind of one of the directions that wizard seems to want to go with mono white, which is that, you know, Um, It generates card advantage by recurring things. Um, So, you know, I I think that if Wizards can keep printing cards like this that are um, strong, that address white weaknesses without robbing the color of its identity and also fitting into things that feel white, um, then I think, you know, that's, that's just good design. It's, you know, I think it's really compelling design um, and also it's very elegant and and harmonious, right? And I think that a lot of white players, and I know Charles in particular uh, always kind of talks about this. You know, he he wants white to get stronger cards, but he doesn't want cards that are just generically good. And that's right. something that we've seen with like a lot of other colors recently. And I think that it's kind of, it's made the game worse as a result. He's generically insanely powerful and pushed cards um whereas you know charles and and myself and i think a lot of other people are are quite happy to see these uh really cool white cards that that just do these really interesting elegant things within the white color identity so you know you still feel like you're playing white at the end of the day Mm -hmm. while you know hopefully having a little bit better utility than, than you did before.
0: Yeah. This is going in this is in coal. And I, I I I just it's so exciting to me to like go down the database right now and look at okay, what are some of these low color white decks that would be like interested in playing this? And I'm like, yeah, Cole might want to play this. Yep, it's in Cole. And you know, yeah, well it probably probably wants to play this in like this deck. You know, yep, it's in that deck. And it's just like it's very encouraging to me to see white cards like this that are clearly good enough to see play and get play. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I think like Esper Sentinel was one of the first indications that things were starting to like maybe turn a corner um, where uh, I actually felt like, Oh, Hey, here's a, here is a card from this set that is just like, you know, very good in this color and i i you know it, that can go in pretty much everything right um and granted this can't go in pretty much everything but anything that's looking to do a lot of stuff with tutors or with uh with artifacts like y- you should absolutely consider this card this card is very good um you know if, if you would be considering doing pod lines in a deck you know this this certainly is a pod right. um so I think I think it's a really cool card. I'm really excited about it. Um, any any other thoughts before we move on to uh, last couple cards? I I think that it, you know, I, I echo everything
1: that Pongo said. I think he articulated it very well. Um, I I I think that when people inevitably compare this to Yi San, I mean it's 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 really important to to point out that this is a sorcery speed ability, yeah, right? Um, which hugely changes the play pattern. So it's it's a very very different style of play than than the type of play that you're going to see with Yison. Mm-hmm. Um And uh, Mono White also lacks the, I would say the the Query and Ranger, Scrib Ranger uh, type type of interactions where you can you know untap multiple times in a rotation. And be able to you know, uh, you know, do basically you know an an activation on every every player's turn. Mm-hmm. Um, with without access to that, uh, it's it's a a slower, more kind of grindy, determined kind of a game, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to the explosive types of play that you're you're going to see from from Yison. Um Does it mean that it's you know not going to make a an impact in the metagame? No, uh, but it's, it's, it, this is, this is not a Yisan. This is a very different animal and it's going to operate in a different way.
2: Yeah. I think the yeah. biggest thing is the sorcery speed stuff. I mean, obviously like yeah. there are ways to copy that effect in mono white. Um, in well, I should say in colorless <laughs> there, there are ways to untap even Oswald in colorless. But uh, the fact that you have to do all this at sorcery speed, the fact that you're not actually like, building up a board, right? You're constantly exchanging resources, uh, working up the pod line Um, means that,
0: you know, while the comparison to Yisan is not perfect. Like it, it I mean, I I don't, I don't understand that comparison personally. I mean, it's a pod. Like it is, it is very clearly a pod effect and it's modeled after those. And I get that it's on a creature, but like, I didn't look at prime speaker Vanifar and go, oh man, that's, that's a Yisan right there. Like it's, it's very clear to in at least from my perspective that this is you know if that comparison is getting made that it, it shouldn't be because I mean it's it's a very clearly a pod, yeah, yeah, yeah is gonna ap- operate under those same like combo lines that a pod would operate on
2: well I, I um, think that's same um, play patterns I mean, you know where the similarity comes from. Um, and where this card differs from something like Vanifar is that Vanifar is kind of like untapped with Vanifar win. Um, I don't -hmm. think that this is going to play this way. I think this, the play pattern of this is going to be closer to San, where you're kind of playing a much more grindy incremental disruptive game. Um, and so I think that's about as far as the comparison really goes ultimately because of, you know, again, we, we, as we touched upon, there's lots of limitations of this card, um, that, that make the comparison a little stretched
0: right i don't know i am i'm very excited about this card um i am inevitably i'm waiting for it to inevitably be piloted to a a tournament win right because michael picks it up and just slaps people with it um (laughs) you know it'll happen eventually um Next card on our list is treasure vault, which is an artifact land that taps for colorless. And it also has an activated ability where you can pay XX and tap and sacrifice treasure vault, treasure vault uh, and create X treasure tokens. Um, so uh, Pongo, I know we we're just with you, but you, I know this is a card that you were excited about because uh, this is a new card for Kinnon, if I'm correct.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, this is like one of those cards this, this is the second time that I can remember sort of like in recent history um, where, you know, I do some work developing new technology for a deck and then like not even all that long afterward, Wizards prints something and it's like, oh, well, actually, you know what, like forget about all that work that you did like this kind of just like simplifies everything where to the point where like none of that was incredibly really relevant to begin with. Um, you know, the first one being working out like sacred guide lines for, for Hulk piles and then Thassa's Oracle gets printed and it's like, Oh, look, everyone can layer demonic consultation with Hulk. Um, and, and now if we're talking about Kinnon, um, we can look at like mirror lines, um, So Mirage Mirror obviously being kind of like a piece of tech for Kinnan that that a lot of decks started running recently because, um, you know, it lets you have an outlet for um, Basalt Monolith, infinite Basalt Monolith Mm -hmm. mana. That's also an artifact and also has utility uh, outside of the combo um, and checks a number of boxes, you know, such that uh, it was it was quite compelling. Um, This is very similar. Um, You get this into play or you have this in play uh, when you have infinite mana off of a basalt monolith. And then you can just make infinite treasure tokens by sacrificing this. uh, And then you can start activating Kinnon. Now the part that really makes this card stupidly good is that it's an artifact land, um, which means that all those artifact tutors that, you know, we had kind of started running in Kinnon because oh, well, now we have, like, a two-card entirely artifact-based combo. Um, well, that doesn't change, except that this is easier to tutor. It's cheaper to tutor, right? You don't have to pay any additional mana off, like, a transmute artifact-type effect. Um, you just pay the two blue and sacrifice an artifact, and this can, like, enter play. Um, you know, theoretically, you can tutor for this with land tutors as well, if you really wanted to play, yeah, like, a cooperation. Like, could- um so, so yeah, this is very compelling. I don't think that this is getting rid of Mirage Mirror, but the fact that it's a land, just a layer yeah, to the it. fact that it's a land just means we get an extra outlet for Kinnon, Um, and like, it's one that we can play for free too. You can kind of just play it, you know, even out of your hand, like very early on, it's difficult for people to interact with it. So if you can get the infinite mana off of Basalt Monolith, you're essentially there. Um, yeah <laughs> there's not a whole lot more to say uh you know it's an outlet that takes up a land slot, and it's like not half bad even if you kind of just have to crack it to make some treasures because Kinnon plus treasures is also really strong um so so yeah it's a uh slam dunk. any
0: application <laughs> any applications for this cobble in anything that is not Kinnon. Off the top of my
1: head, I'm not seeing any. I mean, like, maybe Corvold, just because it converts an arbitrary amount of mana into an arbitrary amount of draw. Uh, but outside of that, I mean, if you've already got the mana, right, um, cutting the mana in half isn't necessarily going to advance the game plan for most things. Uh, and it works because you need to get colored mana out of colorless. So any list that is doing the same thing where they've got arbitrary mana of one color and need to spread that that color out, um, this will be able to satisfy that need.
0: Yeah. That's an interesting card, all right. Um, I'm not excited to play this in Modern because I feel like this just makes that uh, affinity deck a little bit more good, which is scary. Um, so this will be interesting. Uh, but the last card on our list is Minsk beloved ranger and it is naya it costs uh red green and white it's a legendary creature uh that is a three three and when minsk enters the battlefield um create boo a legendary one one red hamster creature token with trample and haste Um, go for the eyes boo (laughs) (laughs) and the uh the second ability on this card costs x to activate no tap until end of turn, target creature you control has base power and toughness, XX, and becomes a giant in addition to its other types. Activate only as a sorcery. So, um, Kabul, we were talking about this card beforehand, uh, and this is a card that um, a lot of people are talking about with uh, Hulk, if I'm correct. Yep, this is
1: similar in vain to uh, Veril's, where... In effect, his his X ability is a sac ability Mm -hmm. because he pays zero into it and the creature dies. So um, if you've got Academy Rector, then you can set his power and toughness to zero. Then he dies, and then you can go and get Pattern of Rebirth and then sacrifice that next creature and then get Hulk and then sacrifice it and then go get... uh, You know, some combination of cards that are in Naya that allow you to kill the table, for instance, Lesser Masticore, uh, Melira, Sylvak, Outcast, and Reckless Fireweaver, and then you just kill the Masticore over and over again and just burn the table. Um, This obviously is going to play very different than Veril's did because it doesn't have access to the Black Tutors, so it's not going to have the same kind of speed um, I, I haven't seen any any lists for this yet so I don't know um, whether they are normally nihilists uh, take advantage of their you know the, the the abilities that they have in you know for stacks effects mm-hmm. uh, to you know slow the game down, keep everybody else off of their game plan until you're able to assemble your win. Um, I would anticipate that's probably what this would look like it's a Disruptive deck that is waiting for its opportunity to get it, you know, a pattern of rebirth or a rector or a, a Hulk into play through some sort of means. Um, is it going to become a big presence in the metagame? Um, I don't know. It remains to be seen because you know, Naya is ha, it has not been well positioned just because there's you know, it doesn't have the the same tutor support, and uh, it you know lacks the effective card draw and you know various other things that uh, you have access to in other colors. So I, I'm I'm interested to see what people do with this uh, with this shell. Um, I mean, Rector and Hulk are <laughs> very very explosive. I mean, they've proven themselves to be really powerful. So. Um, you know notably this doesn't have access to black so it doesn't have reanimation right. so the or it, or the
0: ability make, to entomb
1: right uh, well it, it it has survival of the fittest well okay i guess that's true so right um but yeah Excuse so me. <laughs> not having not having that dimension not having the the reanimation dimension definitely takes it down a peg from from you know verrall's hulk for instance mm-hmm. um whether it meets whether it means that this isn't a quote unquote, you know, viable shell remains to be seen. Um, I'm interested to see people try it out and, and see where it goes.
2: Yeah, I would agree. I think if Naya was ever going to be competitive, then, you know, like it's, it's gotta be something like this, right? Like if this card doesn't get there, then I don't know what will short of something obscenely busted. Um, This like, as you said, so well cobble like it just solves a lot of the issues for the color combination um
0: so yeah i think uh it'll it'll be interesting i think it's interesting is this better than marath i think the wind condition is better right so my 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 question with this card and this is where i don't know So to me, and I think we talked about this earlier, I think the one benefit this gets in my mind over some other Hulk lists that are low color or um, uh, doing similar things um, is that creating that Boo token is not um, inconsequential whatsoever. It's actually incredibly relevant um, because that gives you a pattern of rebirth. Yeah. um, A body for it. Target. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is something that, you know, you know, as you guys know, if you follow me on Twitter, I've been doing a lot of uh, playing around with uh, Academy Rector and arena rector and all that stuff in Thrasios and Timna, And that's often something that you have to overcome with pattern of rebirth is, Okay. well, when I go to do this line, I got to make sure that I have Academy Rector and another creature. And most of the time it's not that big of a deal. But there are certainly situations where you just have Academy Rector and your SAC outlet and you got to figure out, okay, well, how do I make this work? Um, And so this being able to solve half of that equation, I think, makes this viable, how viable it is. I think it's about like for me, I think it's about like on par. I don't think it's better or significantly worse than Veral's in my opinion. Like I think it's about on par. Um and I think the it's three colors and being able to kind of control board states really well will is what in my mind would keep it on par with With Veral sick, sick will probably murder me for saying that. Um, But I I don't. It it seems about as good just from thinking about it and looking at like what people are doing with it.
2: I think so. There's certain settings where Veral's is obviously better. Like if you're comparing these two side by side, Veral's is just the faster deck. Um, that right. is also, yeah. I think probably more resilient in, in a number of respects because of the reanimation suite. But if you look at it from a meta perspective, um, that's where the comparison becomes a lot more interesting. Um, I think varols is often not going to be as fast as the fastest decks at the table. Um, and also doesn't necessarily have a ton of ways to interact with those decks is, you know, frequently finding itself in a racing situation, um, where it's mm-hmm. not necessarily favored. Um, obviously you can play something like a collector roof, but that's about it as far as, you know, disruptive hate bears, you know, that and opposition agent, um, you know, compare the Minsk to that. And now we're in the white color identity. Um, and you know, you can start playing hate bears and stuff like that. And Hulk is just a really strong win condition through stacks in general. It always has been, um, you know, rector things and stuff like that. have always been very good through rule of law effects. Um, So, so Minsk becomes a lot more interesting when you consider him as kind of like a deck that can go stacks first and then, you know, win later, disrupt first, win later. Um, you know, I can play that game plan. And so I think that, you know, what I'm trying to say essentially is that, you know, we shouldn't necessarily just like look at this and compare it directly with something like Verols and say, well, it's slower, so it's not as good. Um, you know, it's different. It attacks on a different axis, um, and, you know, the color identity is wildly different. Uh, you know, you have red as well. So, like, that gives you Dockside and stuff like that, which is obviously super powerful um, in addition to— It gives you Wheel of yeah. Fortune, too. I mean, it gives you a few like. additional extra cards. You know, if you've managed to slow down the game enough and, you know, like, if the game is totally stacked out such that your main win condition doesn't really work, um, you know, overalls kind of might struggle in that position, um, whereas with this, you know, if you get a guy's cradle and play and you develop a big enough board, you know, you can make a really big boo and, and like start beating people down. That's like a, a viable <laughs> game plan. If you can get a six, six or seven, seven trample haste. Um, and you know, you,
1: you also have access to
2: possibility yeah, storm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, unfortunately like you can't just do your Hulk shenanigans through the possibility storm, but like you can kind of just do the boo shenanigans (laughs) through the possibility
0: storm. Right. So that's pretty cool. So, I mean, that's, that's something that I think is intriguing with this is that you do have like alternate lines with Academy Rector, which I think is kind of, especially in my brewing with that card recently has been what I've seen as the like real power of that card is its ability to pivot really well. Um, And I think that's, You know, probably what I would say here is, okay, you're in a situation where you can't win with Hulk because let's say there's like, I don't know, there's something stopping you from getting Hulk, um, and winning with it or, um, for, for some reason, um, like possibility storm can go in this and then you can lock people out that way. Um, it just, this seems very intriguing to me and I'm like, it's kind of excited to see what people do with it. Um. I unfortunately have no interest in brewing this because I'm currently <laughs> well I'm, I'm currently brewing abzan rector stuff um, and that's just me taking the because what I'm doing have uh, been doing a lot of is you, you know you guys have saw like the rector fit things that I've been doing. Um, I've also have like an Abzan rector fit deck that is uh, Tevish and Sidar um it does basically the same thing and then uses arena rector as well um to get professor onyx and use that as a win condition as well and you know leveraging these different um like rector abilities to the their their most because i think they're extraordinarily well positioned in the metagame um is is what i really like here because especially with minsk uh Like you can, it's, it's a human, which, so is Academy Rector. baby. if these decks are not playing, um. Cavern of Souls? What's it called? Yeah, Cavern of Souls. Like, Cavern of Souls just protects that so well. And it, even without that, the amount of creature counters that are out there right now is very low. So, like, um, Rector game plans are very well positioned in my opinion because of their ability to just get through most of people's interaction. Yeah. They do get, get snubbed really hard by opposition agent. Um, That's the one. Yeah. But down Dolph- I mean, Dolph- in Dolph- my Boyd experience, Walker. so yeah, but like, honestly, I haven't been running into that stuff a whole lot. Like, <laughs> uh, like people who are playing Turbonnaughts have, ha- aren't even playing those cards. So it's, it's very interesting to me where there are cards that definitely get it, but I haven't experienced them being more egregious than like anything we've seen in the past. Um, And, and so I, I just, I really like where Rector is positioned right now and seeing like a Naya Rector deck is really exciting. Yeah,
2: I agree. Um, This is certainly going to be one of those decks that people look at it, they say, oh, it's like whatever, and then they lose to it. (laughs) And it's as simple as that. Um, Yeah. Like so many decks in this format.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Uh, Any final thoughts from you guys uh, before we take off this week? None from me. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that...
2: Kind of had us in the first half with this set, where I was initially thinking uh, <laughs> that we weren't going to get much of anything, and then uh, toward the end, the, the set started to become certainly a little bit more interesting for the CDH players. So that that was nice to see. Yeah. Um, you know, I and this is our shortest set. Right? I, I'm glad that it's
0: not pushed to hell, <laughs> especially after Modern Horizons yeah. too. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, we definitely needed a, a, a little bit of a break after Modern Horizons 2. I I still can't get Urza Sagas or Ragavans on MTGO. I, they're, they're nowhere to be found right now, um, which is very frustrating because I'd really like to be playing some <laughs> Modern <laughs> with those cards, but, you know, whatever. Um, but uh, that about wraps things up for us here today. Just I, a couple quick things to kind of go down here for you guys before we leave. Uh, Like I said, uh, I know I've had a couple people ask me about this. We did take a break uh, from doing the podcast over the summer um, while we were doing Major League Commander stuff. Um, Major League Commander is in its final month um, and it's been going really well. Um, Pongo is currently uh, seated at the top of his division for now. Um, (laughs) And uh, It'll be really exciting to come on. Well, the reason I say that is there's been a lot of shakeup in the past two weeks. You're supposed to be on my side. You know, I am. I'm not saying I'm not, I'm just saying you, you might want to get that third win there, buddy. Um, Fair, fair. I agree. (laughs) But, um, Yeah. So that, that'll be wrapping up here. I believe it is August uh, 7th or 8th uh, when the uh, Mox Bowl, the last day of it will be. Um, So, and the plan is we're going to be back going at this every week. We've got a lot of really cool stuff lined up for you guys. I'm really excited about some of the projects I have in the works as well as some stuff that I know Charles is working on. Um, Just year two is going to be really fun. And the fact that we're almost two a year blows my mind, um, is really exciting for me. So, um, but yeah, thank you all for joining us. And, uh, just a reminder, you can follow us on Twitter. If you already don't at sculpty boys, B O I S, or you can find a direct link in our link tree in the direction below the description below. I want to also give an extra thanks to all of our patrons who do keep the lights on. If you too would like to become a patron, you can head on over to patreon.com slash the mind sculptors, or check out the link in the description. Thanks again for joining us. And from all of us here at the mind sculptors, I'm Callahan. See you next time.